We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, regular guest on the show, Justin Thomas of Nets Republic. Justin, Nets did not start the new year well. A loss to the Clippers, 120-116, and that's without Paul George. That's without Zubak. That's without Morris. Without a ton of guys, shorthanded, they come into Brooklyn and steal a win. How are we feeling? They are who we thought they were, <laughs> and we let them off the hook. Yeah. Uh, boy, I mean, that's just that, that's a bad, that's a bad loss. You know, no, I, you can't cut it any other way. It's horrible loss, especially for a team that is devoid of literally their entire roster outside of three players, Eric Bledsoe, Reggie Jackson, and Terrence Mann, right? And also Serge Ibaka, I guess. Um, they just played a game 24 hours ago in Toronto. So they had to cross, you know, country lines to get to Brooklyn. And that's just, they had energy from the start to the finish. Nets just couldn't match it. And this is the result we got. Yeah, and I mean, even like the Nets played I wouldn't say well the entire game they played good enough to maintain a lead and then in that fourth quarter they just failed to do anything well I mean it was 40 to 29 in favor of the Clippers and like you mentioned you know it's pretty much Reggie Jackson Eric Bledsoe Terrence Maine didn't really play well he was airballing threes he did knock down the big one as well but it's just like what are we doing here like it's okay to like cruise through the first three quarters but in the fourth quarter you anticipate you know picking it up and you thought maybe hey you know they have an eight to ten point lead at the beginning of the fourth let's turn it up get that 20 point lead you know KD and Harden get some rest we get to play the rookies and literally the complete opposite happened and it was even worse because not only did you let the Clippers get back in the game you let them win the game because of just terrible late game execution I mean this was a really annoying game as a fan obviously it's one game so it doesn't really matter but just from the perspective of watching it and then watching it after the Philadelphia losses is the first time the Nets have lost back-to-back games this season. Just very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I, like I'm looking at the I'm looking at the, the 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 roster for the Clippers right now. I'm just like, really? 
Like we had, uh, what is it, Wenyan Gabriel and James Ennis playing for us literally four or five days ago. They were on the road. They were on the Nets roster when the Nets were in, you know, Los Angeles to play the Clippers at the beginning of the uh, of the week. Uh, you know, but hey, credit, cre- credit, honestly, credit the Clippers. Like you never want to just bash like, oh, they shouldn't be like they they came to play. Eric Bledsoe, Reggie Jackson, they're professionals. We saw what Reggie Jackson did last season. Uh, in the playoffs when, you know, some of their stars went down, um, you know, so these guys are professionals, they they come to work every single day and the Nets are realizing that, hey, you can't just walk into an arena knowing that you have James Harden and Kevin Durant um, and expect to win. I mean, as fans, we can because obviously they're two of the best players that, you know, in the game right now. But, you know, just having those two can only take you so far. You're going to need some help. You're going to need a, a, a complete team effort every single night because teams are going to give you their best, whether they're devoid of, you know, their full roster or not. Yeah, and obviously the Nets are still missing, you know, some components and Patty Mills fouled out of this game. But it's, you know, like you said, credit to the Clippers because they played hard. They tried to push every single opportunity they had, you know, 21 to 5 and fast break points in their favor. And that created a lot of things for them because they're also getting, you know, some good results for semi-transition or just providing some mismatches. And, you know, I thought Steve Nash did a good job of helping the Clippers in this game to be able to kind of, you know, either maintain the deficit, as they mentioned in the uh, broadcast, or also just be able to kind of get in there and make some runs. I mean, that run in the fourth quarter, there was just some things in there that, you know, wasn't great coaching. And then also guys just didn't play well for the Nets. There there weren't many players on Brooklyn that played well. It felt like a game that was played on New Year's Day, just given the lackadaisical effort. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the run in the fourth, um, 15-3 spurt, you know, uh, towards the end of the game. Uh, it just, in a it couple, just, sorry to cut you off, Justin. A couple of those yeah. plays were just stupid. Like they're just straight yeah. up stupid plays. You had the one from Patty Mills where he throws the ball across the court. I mean, you or I could have probably picked off that pass. And then also you have, you know, the the offensive foul where he shoves Eric Bledsoe, and then I think James Harden a possession later throws the ball at like KD's feet. And it's just like, what are we doing? Yeah, I just it's, it's confusing. And honestly, I didn't even realize that Patty was in that much foul trouble. Until yeah. he picked up the foul, and they were like, yeah, he fouled out. I'm like, wait, what? When did he pick up fouls? I know Bruce was in foul trouble um, a lot this game as well. It, yeah, it was just uh, – I think it was just one of those where the Nets expected – I think they went up by as much as 11 Yep. Um, in that second half, and I think they expected the Clippers to just roll over. I mean, it's easy to say – you know, and it's, and it, you would, it's easy to think that because, like I said, second game of back-to-back, um, you know, in the middle of their own East Coast road trip as well, down a bunch of guys – you know, they could have packed it in, but they didn't, you know, credit to them. But the Nets just had, they, they got to come out with more urgency. You know, I talk about them starting games with urgency, but some, you got to finish the games with urgency too. It's not enough to just have the best players on the court. You have to play like you're the best players on the court. Agreed. And they had a 13 point lead up in the f- middle of the fourth quarter. They blew that. And like you said, you know, it's also not not just the fourth quarter. It's playing well the entire game and playing with urgency and not putting out, you know, some lineups that just really can't do anything. And then at times, I think they put so much pressure on James Harden and Kevin Durant to be the scorers on the floor. You know, one of the reasons that it got so stagnant late in the game was. It was just hard double teams from the Clippers. You know, they were shading over two or three guys at Kevin Durant and James Harden. They were saying, hey, James Johnson, Bembry, you know, Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton make a shot. And those guys couldn't do it. There was a couple possessions earlier in the fourth where they were getting some good ball movement and doing it. But Clippers kind of reacted and Steve Nash had no adjustment for that. And also, you know, KD and James Harden reacted a little slow to some of those double teams as well. Yeah, and I, I noticed in the, the game out in Los Angeles, so you saw the Clippers early with the, you know, high double teams on Harden yep. uh, at the top. 
didn't see a lot a lot of that uh, in this game. Uh, so I noticed there wasn't as much work in the short roll yep. uh, for guys like Bruce, guys like Bambry, guys like Clax. Um, so, you know, credit the Clippers for making that adjustment because Harden was absolutely torching him um, with that in that game. Um, but yeah, the Clippers made the adjustments. You saw, you know, Harden and, and Katie not react as quickly to double teams. Uh, Bruce Brown also kind of struggled uh, when they would send doubles or kind of pack the paint with him when he got in there. LaMarcus Aldridge also kind of had a, a, a rough game uh, when the defense was swarming. So, I mean, it was just, yeah, all around bad game. One of those you expect talent to just overcome. But unfortunately, you know, you're going to have one, two or three of these type of games where the talent's just not enough. and You're going to have a clunker. Yeah, I definitely. And I think it's just more frustrating because it's like back to back games in terms of which the Nets lost where they weren't beaten. You know, you play a team like mm-hmm. Golden State or Phoenix and or even Milwaukee, they get super hot or they just play really well and you lose. You're cool with it. But these are just games where you're just like kind of giving them away. And like I mentioned, Steve Nash tonight wasn't my favorite performance. Second quarter, we got some of those Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge minutes, something that no Nets fan wants to see at this point in 2022. Maybe in 2015, that would have been something to see. But right now, that's rough. And then also just kind of putting out lineups with no floor spacers. Like we mentioned, Patty did foul out, but we saw lineups that had James Johnson, DeAndre Bembry, and Bruce Brown, who's really struggling. It's just like, what what do you expect to really happen? It's like the Nets play defensive-minded lineups that didn't play good defense you know it's weird because you know we're all like nash has talked about the whole experimenting thing and like all right you know we're using this regular season to experiment with lineups so that we know what we're going to do down the stretch of the season in the playoffs that's fine that's cool but we're over a quarter of the way through we're almost at the midway point we've already seen that lamarcus and blake lineups can't work so why are we still throwing it out there we've already seen that james johnson Bruce Brown and Brembry lineups together cannot work. So why do we keep throwing them out there? It's like, you know, what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting, you know, different results. And that's what we're seeing now. Um, And it's weird because Nash will, he'll see a lineup that works like the lineup that came out there to end the first quarter into the start of the second quarter, that Claxton, James Johnson, uh, Brembry lineup, right? That had James Harden at the helm. That works. I don't remember seeing that particular group of players for the rest of the game and that was the best stretch of the the game I thought for the Nets outside of I think their third quarter where they in the fourth where they ballooned the lead to 13 so yeah it was a this was one of Nash's worst performances of the season and I'm not a big like Nash hater because I get it you know coaching is hard um nobody's perfect but this was not a good game if you're a staunch Steve Nash supporter Yeah, I agree. You know, usually I defend Nash because I think a lot of times when you lose games, it's mostly because of the players, because they didn't play well or whatever reason. But I thought tonight there was opportunities to kind of put guys in better positions or just not roll with some of that clunky stuff, especially going against a smaller Clippers team. Like you said, we've seen enough of to Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge. That is not going to work. I knew, saw enough of it last season in that little stint against the Bulls to know that it wasn't going to work. Like, the guys aren't quick. You know, they're just not fast enough for this NBA. And I think LaMarcus in general, you're starting to see some of the disadvantages of playing him defensively, especially when you see so much success when you're switching on a lot of things. But, again, that's not the only reason the Nets lost. They just didn't play well in a lot of different areas. And not many guys, you could say, played a great game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Who would you say was the best net tonight? Um, I mean, outside of the superstars, because it's easy to just go with. I think those are just the basic ones. KD was KD. I mean, he was outside of his kind of lackadaisical approach sometimes. I mean, he's still hitting shots. James Harden, another triple-double. Uh, I actually really liked him. I thought the best net performance came from Nick Claxton. Yep. Um, just because the energy he provided in that in that uh, the 10 minutes in the first half, he had 8.7 rebounds, was a plus 8, I believe, in the plus-minus four offensive rebounds in that first half. I mean, he was just doing everything out there. Some monster dunks. Heck, we even saw a a mid-range jumper in yeah. that second half as well, which was, you know, very encouraging because we saw that a bit in his rookie season. Haven't seen it lately, so that, that, that was pretty cool to see. But, yeah, outside of those three, I would say, and I know Patty had 17, but, you know, it's it was still an off night for Patty, I would say, not in terms of shooting, but just, you know, the basketball IQ and just like just the overall feel for the game. So, yeah, I think Nick Claxton had the best performance, you know, sans the superstars. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Clax is continuing to trend up. Like you mentioned, he had that jumper in there. There was also possession where he sealed off a guard to get an easy dunk. That's just something Clax doesn't really do that much. So credit to him continuing to play well defensively. I thought he did his job as well. You know, he wasn't getting cooked. He was providing that rim protection. And I think I put out a tweet earlier in the game. It was just like normalized playing Claxton starter minutes. Like there's no reason he should have played 23 minutes tonight. Why are you not playing him 30? And you're playing James Johnson 28 and DeAndre Bembry 28. You know what I mean? Like Clax is just better than those guys. He's just a more impactful player. And I think offensively, yeah, he doesn't have a three-point shot and he's limited, but he gives you true vertical spacing. And those other two sometimes don't provide you much of anything in that category. Yeah, I know, at the, like, you know, towards at the beginning of the season, um, the four games, he didn't look great. And even when he came back, I think it was still the, all right, we need LaMarcus Aldridge in the starting lineup, um, you know, if Clax isn't going to be playing up to the level that we think he can be. Well, Clax is playing to the level that we think he can play. So I think it's safe to say that 
Nick Claxton deserves to be in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I didn't hate the LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick Claxton uh, starting lineup the other night against Philly. Um, I think it's something you could do occasionally, maybe, depending on the matchup. But as it stands right now, I think Nick Claxton's done enough or shown enough where he deserves that starting lineup role. And it's not to say that LaMarcus Aldridge played bad that he doesn't deserve it. Um, because LaMarcus is still, he's shooting over 58% from the mid-range. I mean, tonight was a little rough game for him. You know, we know what we're going to get from LaMarcus. We, him at 21-ish minutes is fine. I need it to come off the bench and yeah. in that second unit, as opposed to Claxton, who should be up in that, you know, 27, 28, 29 range, right where, you know, the the Durants, the, the Irvings, the Joe Harris's uh, of the team are getting, so... Yeah, I think with Clax playing too, you look at it from the perspective of, hey, James Harden is playing a lot better. You know, he's looking like a superstar, so you're getting that extra element of offense. Now you play Clax, he gives Harden a true rim roller, somebody he can throw an oop to, but then also you get that defensive plus that Aldridge just can't provide. He's never been, you know, an elite defensive player, so you have this guy, Clax, who can be an X-factor at that end when your offense is going to be okay because you're rolling out Patty Mills, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, and then obviously Kyrie's going to be back, Joe Harris is going to be back. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, let's try to infuse some defense, and LaMarcus can give us, you know, a scoring punch off the bench, and maybe there's just matchups where he really can't play because he's just up there in age and he doesn't move that well. But like you said, you know, he's still, we know what LaMarcus Aldridge is. He does his job. He's not a great defensive player. You know, he's able to kind of provide you some rim protection with his size and go into drop, and I think he'll look a lot better doing that against bench units rather than starters because it just becomes somewhere where, hey, this is a guy we can kind of go after, and he's a guy that's not going to necessarily be sprinting back in transition either yeah uh you know i'm looking at the the box score for lamarcus right now five of 13 i know he had he had 13 shots up by like the eight minute mark of the third quarter and ideally it's not really what you want um i think for a complete game sure 13 shots is okay i'd rather lamarcus be around that like you know nine to ten range uh, unless he's hitting like you know we've seen games this season or you like need this. it yeah, like we've seen the games like the, like the Sixers game very early in the season where he was just on fire from mid-range. So it's like, all right, you know, we need, you know, six or seven of 12 from LaMarcus. But tonight was not one of those nights. And the real problem wasn't his mid-range misses. It was the misses around the rim. Yeah. You know, we talked about it. The, you know, the, there was no Hartenstein out there. There was no Zubach out there. The biggest guy out there for the Clippers was um, Serge Ibaka, right? There's no reason why LaMarcus should be missing all these bunnies. I mean, even – not even just LaMarcus. I would say a yeah. bunch of Nets missed a lot of lives. Bembry um, flashed to – showed some uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson tonight. <laughs> um, with a Hart few, even I, missed a few himself. I, I mean, yeah. there was probably some contact there, but uh, I like that comparison. <laughs> you know, it was just a little bit out of control, and it's it's okay. You know, Bembry is, has, has played well enough where it's like, all right, I can excuse, you know, an out-of-control game from Bembry, but yeah, I mean, even Bruce Brown, you know, we talk about his struggles sometimes finishing with the offhand, but even with his strong hand tonight, um, there was a little bit of struggle. So, but it also, you know, like just going back to national lineups, we saw the dominance that was the Nets on the rebounding side of the ball. You had five, you had five Nets with, I'm sorry, four Nets at halftime with five or more rebounds, right? They were dominating on the offensive rebounding side, 12 to four. Is this not when you see that type of domination, but also see the quickness that the that the uh, Clippers have? Is this not a game that you could probably throw Castle Edwards out? Yeah. Or David Duke Jr. out because you know they're going to give you the speed and the quickness, and Kessler gives you length for days and spacing. So, 
and spacing because yeah. we can see Kessler can make the three. David Duke Jr., his shooting, you know, it, it's not there yet, but at least he'll attempt it. Hey, one will go down. Yeah. You know, we saw what he did against the Magic. So, yeah, it's it was a, a complete, you know, cluster freak, um, if you will, from Nat, the coaching staff, from the players, you know, it's all around. Yeah, I mean, and like, I think it goes to like a bigger issue of the rotation in terms of Nash needing to make an adjustment with all these non-spacers playing. Like, it's time to think about including Cam Thomas or Kessler Edwards, including just a guy out there that can alleviate some of the pressure because it's causing problems for the offense at times, especially when the team can throw a different scheme at you late in the fourth quarter. And now all of a sudden you need to react and you don't react because they're sending two guys at Katie and they're sending two guys at James Harden. And they're just like leaving James Johnson and Bembry and whoever else is on the floor wide open, especially in the situation where you don't have Patty, you know, maybe Patty doesn't foul out this game. The Nets probably win because they can run simpler things offensively late in the game, but you need to have those options. And I think that's why you just have to play, a guy like Cam Thomas or Kessler Edwards. I think, you know, you, you've you given Bruce Brown enough run and DeAndre Bembry to realize, like, hey, these guys have very similar skill sets. Probably I only need one of these guys in my rotations. And I think at this point in time, Nash just has to make that decision and roll with the young guys so they can get some development. Obviously, it's not going to be as much of a discussion when you have Kyrie and Joe Harris, but for the time being, it's just too much non-offense. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, Bembry and Bruce play pretty much the exact same role. And then with, with Bembry's improvement in the short role and his facilitating and decision-making, you know, you, you, you're kind of making one obsolete, you yeah. know. And it's it's a good problem to have, honestly, for the Nets. You have two guys that are, you know, great perimeter defenders, provide you with, you know, some athleticism. Obviously, Bembry provides you with more, but you don't need both of them, especially not at the same time. Um, it's... If you had a pick, who would you roll with moving forward if you only had one? If I only had one, only off the strength of what I've seen him do, it would be Bruce. Uh, that's not to say that Bembry can't do it. I just know like what I saw last season from Bruce, and I think this is the role that he's perfect in. When you saw Bruce with Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, it was probably the most unstoppable lineup in the NBA like that we've seen in a while, probably since the Golden State Warriors death lineup. Um, that is the, that is the position he thrives in playing that small ball center role, but it only works with a very select group of personnel out there. Yeah. I think DeAndre Bembry can be on the floor with a bigger range of personnel than Bruce, just because of, you know, a little bit more athleticism and because he's able to, you know, shoot the ball a little bit better, but you know, often there's just a strength of confidence of what I know he can do Bruce, but as it's trending right now. I think it's probably I think Nash will probably lean more towards Bembry um, in a more, you know, I guess in a more complete role than than Bruce going forward. Yeah, I think based off of what I've seen from this season, I'd probably roll with Bembry uh, just because Bruce, I just think, is going through something. And like you said, he needs a specific skill set to really succeed. Obviously, you know, it could happen when they get the other guys back. I think he played well with Blake last season because Blake could knock down the three ball. So now you're playing with four shooters this year. No big is really knocking down the three ball at a good rate. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm not sure we can find those lineups. And I just think Bembry, honestly, I think is a better defender. I think on ball, I just think that the athleticism and his ability to kind of jump in passing lanes. I think Bruce is a little bit tougher, has a little bit more physicality to his game. But just based off of this season, I think Bembry's playing a little bit better. 
like you said though he he does get a little sporadic with his layup package like tonight forcing those two in transition he probably didn't need to do that but at the end of the day you kind of earn those opportunities when you get those steals so i'm intrigued to see what nash ends up doing it's tough to say because he's tended to lean on guys that he knows and played with the nets last season but i think Bembry's playing at a better level than bruce at, at least at this current moment and obviously you know Bruce could find his rhythm and get back to knocking down that floater at a consistent rate, but it's just hard for him to find opportunities right now. It just feels like he's unsure of what his spot is on the offense because he doesn't have all those short roll opportunities. Yeah, I think Bruce, I think the person that's missed Joe Harrison, Kyrie Irving the most outside of net fans has probably been Bruce Brown. Yeah. Uh, without that spacing, you know, that, that ample amount of spacing on the floor, you know, he sometimes looks like a deer in the head, like a deer in headlights. Um, you know, it's not to say that his basketball key was low. He knows exactly what to do. It's just that defenders are able to cheat in the paint more. You know, you don't yep. have to live in Joe Harris isn't out there in the corner, just waiting to knock down a corner three. The, d- the defender can be in, you know, two or three more steps. You know, when James Harden comes off that pick and roll, they don't have to, at least earlier in the season when James yep. wasn't being as aggressive, they didn't have to respect that role uh, because James wasn't going to be, you know, attacking the basket. Now, you know, even though James is attacking the basket, it's still kind of clunky with Bruce out there. Um, it doesn't help that he's missing some easy layups. Um, you know, it just doesn't look like he knows what to do with the ball out there. So it, it's sad, but this is kind of why Bruce didn't get yeah. a lot of looks in the offseason. And you hate to say it because we all love Bruce. We don't like trashing guys, but this could be one of those reasons why, you know, he is a guy that thrived off of being in a specific in, Assist, you talk about system players, you know, like like Brady. Yeah. Brady's a system player, quarterback. Bruce Brown is a system small ball center, you know? Yeah. And like you said, there was a lot of reports that was the reason he wasn't getting offers because, like, his skill set just doesn't really fit into a ton of situations in this current NBA. And I think he needs to play at, like, an extremely high energy level to make up for some of that. And I think at times he hasn't done that this season. And obviously there's an array of different reasons for that. But it's also harder to play him when you have, you know, rookies off the bench that are willing to go nuts just for any type of minutes. You know, looking at David Duke Jr., who, like you mentioned, you know, what do you have in that one game? 14 rebounds from the guard position. And like we talked about before is like he's able to do that because he sprints back. And I think his level of tenacity defensively was higher in the games that I saw from him than what I saw from Bruce tonight. Not to say that I don't think Bruce can get back to playing at a high level. I'm just don't think his play right now is up to the standards that we saw last season. Yeah, and I think for Nash, or at least it, he's kind of made it to the point where I was like, yeah, he's going to stick with guys he knows. He's going to stick with the veterans. But honestly, I feel like the play of the rookies should be one of those where, hey, if you're not careful, you know, this 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 young guy can take your spot. And from what we saw in the limited amount of time that we were able to see him, David Duke Jr., you know, Kessler Edwards, they played well enough that they deserve minutes in yeah. games like this, like this, but not even garbage time, because that's what, like going into this game. You figure, all right, they'll get some run by like the third, fourth quarter because the game will be out of hand. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But look, Castle Rebels could have played. There's no reason you can't say now after what you saw them do against the Magic, what you saw them do against uh, the Raptors, that they can't play against big time players. We saw them yeah. play against the Raptors and they had multiple former champions on that team. Fred VanVleet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, right? So it's not a case that they're not ready. They're, they're, they're too young because we saw that we heard that with Cam as well. So I just don't understand why we keep banging our heads against the wall with guys that we know are not playing up to par like Blake Griffin, like Bruce Brown. 
uh, when you have young guys that can give you a spark and can give you a jolt. Yeah, I think it's also, too, is like, um, you know, Steve Nash preaches, you know, let's experiment all these things. Well, experiment with the rookies, too, because you want to see what they can do by the end of the season. And if you are going to have to lean on a rookie, they're going to need time to develop. And they're not going to get that if you decide to start playing them in March. You know, it's time to start playing them now. And I think also you have good reason to play them. Like we're in 2022 of the NBA. You do not play three non-spacers. It's just not a thing. It's like it's bad enough when you have to play two. Like in most teams don't even like playing one unless it's a really good rim roller or something like that. And in comparison to what we saw last year where the Nets had it felt like five spaces on the floor almost all the time or at least three good three point shooters. Let these guys play, open up some space from Harden, open up some space for KD, play these rooks and let them use their energy early, especially if the guys, like you said, aren't playing hard, like do the typical coaching move. Oh, you're not playing hard. I'm going to bench you quick and throw in a young guy that's going to do exactly what I want him to do. So Definitely something to keep an eye on. I really want to see the rookies play a little bit more, not only just because of the energy, but I think their skill sets can, you know, find room on this roster to be useful rather than, you know, playing the same guys over and over again that obviously have the deficiencies when you have a Cam Thomas and a Kessler Edwards that have the potential to give you some solid spacing. Yep. And I, so like we saw Nash bench Blake Griffin for what was that? Like two weeks or so, something like that. And then Blake obviously had to step up because the, the 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 roster was in shambles with COVID. But that doesn't mean just because he was playing during COVID that he can just come back and, you know, assume his regular role. I mean, I know he only had seven minutes of game time today, but look, the, you, you saw how well the team was playing when he yeah. was out of the rotation. You know, let's not try and reinvent the wheel. And I think that's what Nash sometimes likes to do is just like, all right. Or he just gets too cute where it's like, all right, I know this works, but what if I did this? Or what yeah. if I bring back this? You know, like like Blake is the the uh, recurring character that it's like, all right, I'm kind of – he was cool in season one. We're in season three. I'm kind of over it now. Yeah, I think also you look at it from the perspective of like he's trying to almost force minutes. Like he's trying to make sure that Blake and LaMarcus get these minutes rather than just play lineups that make more sense. Because that's the only reason in my head that I would play Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge together in the second quarter is that he's trying to give these guys minutes and opportunities to be out there. And I just think like that's that's not the way to go, especially at this point in the season. And I don't think it's crazy to say like, hey, the Nets are really only going to play two bigs most of the year. Like that was my mindset going into the year. I thought like, hey, it's going to be tough to find minutes for Claxton, Aldridge, Griffin and Millsap. And it still is. But Nash is trying to find a way to get at least three of those guys minutes. And I think this is where it's like you have to just make that tough decision as a coach. Yeah, if we're, if we're going to force minutes, can, can my boy Paul get, get, get some force minutes every once in a while? Like, come on, man. I. I thought Paul probably could have, I mean, I know he's, you know, on the slower end as well, but he definitely spaces the floor better than Blake. His ball his ball handling is better than Blake's. His facilitating is definitely better than Blake's. Um, you know, get him a look. But yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. And uh, even going down the stretch of the game, I was curious as to why Nick Claxton wasn't out there uh for them. But yeah, as soon as Patty Mills fouled out, uh, Steve went with Bruce Brown rather than Clax, who'd been playing well, and Bruce had not been playing well. And, like, I'm not to say that he should never close a game again, but tonight just wasn't his night because he was getting cooked by Eric Bledsoe, too. And that, that's something I never envisioned saying. I, I'm not a big fan of Eric Bledsoe and his game, but he played well and he cooked Bruce Brown tonight. Oh, he definitely did. He definitely did. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of that muscle hamster guy either. Um, <laughs> you know, he looks like a football. He's he's a he's a he's an NFL running back. just playing football. I mean, playing basketball, and he kind of sometimes plays like those football players at the gym. 
Um, but you know, credit him. He had a, he had a big night. What did what, what did he even have? He had 20, 27. Oh my gosh. I yeah. think it was a season high, which is embarrassing. Oh, that is that yeah, that that's gross. So yeah, it's head scratching uh decisions all around. Um I will say though, you know, I know we've been pretty negative on the pod, which I mean, granted, <laughs> you just lost, you know, by four points at home to, to the COVID Clippers. Like, yeah, like come on, the COVID Clippers. But um I will say the outside of Nick Claxon, the real true positive I I think also is James Harden just continues to be aggressive. I know nine of twenty-two, it doesn't look great. Three of eleven. Uh, from three, but he had that really good stretch in the third quarter uh, where he scored 16 points, 11 straight for the Nets at one point. I mean, after missing his first five threes, he connected on his next three. We, he, was, he was getting to the line. He had that in the fourth quarter. He started off with the uh, that mid-range and one that ended yeah. up being, I guess, a uh, reckless closeout foul as well. Uh, finished the game, 34 points, 13 assists, 12 rebounds. So it was I liked it. You know, he was in in transition. Same thing, like I mentioned in the other uh, pod. He's not looking to draw fouls. He's looking to actually score. We saw the Euro come out a few times. We saw him get um, some nice drives to the basket in transition. Got blocked a few times, but that's okay. You know, you live with that. I'd rather James Harden go to the the basket and get blocked than try and settle for, you know, try and foul beat. Yeah, I mean, 15 free throw attempts, too. And it didn't feel like he was foul baiting. It was just kind of attacking, getting his head down. And like you said, you know, there's a couple misses at the rim, but I'll live with those just because you like the mindset and the aggressiveness. And again, he's trending in the right direction. He's another guy, like we talked about Bruce Brown missing, you know, uh, Kyrie and Joe Harris. Like, this is another guy, give him more space, more opportunity. Instead of seeing, you know, three bodies in the paint, it might be one or two. And think another plus for him is like, you're seeing James Harden break down guys one-on-one a lot. Like in, earlier in the season, even when he was getting favorable switches, he was kind of just settling for a step back three. Like now he's getting to the rim or really setting up his step back three and, you know, turning that to a good shot. The only negative I'll say from him, he got back to a little bit of his bad habits in late in that fourth quarter. He was over dribbling, trying to set up too many things on offense instead of just being like, hey, I'm James Harden. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to get to the rim or I'm going to set something up by penetration. Yeah, I think the one very, like, the really bad possession I would have on Harden, I came right when the, the Clippers are making that in the midst of that run. I want to say they were down, the Clippers, I cut it to one. And, or the Nets were down by one, I forget. But Harden just dr- bled, absolutely bled the yep. clock down and didn't really start making his move until about the three-second mark. And by, like, the six-second mark, I'm literally, and it's funny because I was on the phone with my cousin at the time, and I have it on speaker, and I'm like, you know, James, can you do something? And he's just walking the ball, walking the ball. At six seconds, I realized, oh, he's going to settle for a three-pointer. Um, it kind of reminded me of the Rockets game when he did that same thing as well. Uh, missed it short, and then my cousin joked. He was like, well, you did ask him to do something. And I was like, yeah, but it wasn't the something I wanted. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was a really bad possession. But other than that, there wasn't too many of those from Harden. Um, you know, if we're getting this Harden every single night with only maybe – you know, a handful of bad sessions. I mean, look at it, only four turnovers because um, he's usually around like the six, seven, eight mark. Um, you know, I'll take it. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of plays where he probably wants back that he could have did better. And I'd love for him to start hitting some of those wide open catch and shoot threes. It's kind of been a hot and cold thing with James. You know, we'll see him knock down a few and be like, oh, it's changing the direction. And then, you know, this game misses, I think, like three of them. And then, like he set it up to have that deep three miss. So overall, though, still really happy with the way he's playing. And if a couple role players step up, you know, I think it's a better game. But moving over to KD, 28 points, 11 to 24 from the field, two of six from three, four or five from the free throw line, nine rebounds, three assists, one block three turnovers 
crazy KD had 28 points, but I would call this probably a, a you know a below average Kevin Durant game. That's weird. Like we've had like four or five of these this season where he scores like 28, 30 points, and it's like, eh, but like it really wasn't that great of a game. Like yeah. to the average, I mean, the average person's gonna look at this like, yeah, and that was a great game. And I'm pretty sure whoever has him on fantasy is loving it. You know, 28 points, nine rebounds, three assists. But yeah, like you said, you know, just kind of a a, a black Kevin Durant game. You know, he makes this he makes the shots that you know you expect those tough dribble pull ups you know, a few threes, but he did miss, a, you know, some, some, some looks he normally does make, um, three turnovers as well, you know, all ugly turnovers. Yes. Like I, I don't mind turnovers, but the, the ones that he threw tonight were just like, yeah, you might still be hung over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I was like, whatever they had last night, I want some of that, you yeah. know, cause that's, 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 that must be the good stuff. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, some, some, some bad, bad turnovers, some, uh, you know, questionable possessions, but like I said, we we're, what are we, 34 games in the season? If I'll take he's 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 earned the right to have, you know, a handful of these type of performances. And even still, you know, he had a chance, you know, to will this team to a win. Just, you know, unfortunately the ball didn't bounce his way. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like these games are probably, you know, a blow average for KD and, you know, an okay game for James Harden, but still plenty for the Nets to get a win if they just have, you know, a couple other solid performances. And we mentioned Patty Mills, you know, six of 10 from the field, five and nine from three, 17 points did foul out in this one. Offensively, his shot looked really good in comparison to the Philadelphia game, but it, it just, you didn't really feel his impact as much. And then just not having on the floor was such a major issue late in the game. Yeah, usually, like, you know, it's like five of nine from three, and it's like, all right, usually, like, those Patty Mill nights are like, yeah, like, you know when Patty hits the three, because they're usually at, you know, big moments that are either stifling an opponent's run or continuing a uh, a Nets run. But tonight didn't really feel like it. it. Just, like, I was even surprised that he had 17 points, because it didn't, it didn't, it didn't appear that he was actually, you know, putting in that much work on the offensive end, but. It is what it is, you know, better shooting performance night than uh, the 76ers game, but still not enough. Fouling out is is very, I mean, it's rare that you see a guard uh, foul out, especially Patty Mills. I can't even remember the last time Patty Mills fouled out. I'm pretty sure Jack knows it, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's... And it sucks is because he had a take foul. I want to say either a first yes. or second quarter that he just yep. didn't necessarily need to take. And, you know, not to say that it cost the game, but I feel like if he's on the floor, it just becomes a little bit harder to throw those doubles at KD and Harden, especially when, you know, at least one of the non-shooters is handling the ball. So just, you know, overall, just a lackadaisical game. And I think even just like I mentioned, the offensive foul he committed on Bledsoe, at that point in time, it was it was a back-to-back turnovers for him, like the pass and then that play. It's just like, damn, like that's just rough. And I know, I know, and I know it's not his game. Like his game is more so coming off of screens, you know, shooting the three. But it's just kind of surprising to me looking at the box score. You know, James Harden, 15 free throw attempts. Kevin Durant, I mean, Kevin Durant only shooting five free throw attempts is also a little bit you know, bewildering as well, but zero free throw attempts from Bruce Brown, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Patty Mills combined. Um, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. I'm not, I'm not expecting these guys to be at the line all night, but when your starting center can't get to the free throw line, especially with the amount of times he was around the rim putting up shots, um, that's concerning. The amount of time, times Bruce Brown was around the rim, uh, you know, missing his layups, it's, uh, not a not not a pleasant sight. 
Yeah, I think what's frustrating for LaMarcus and Bruce Brown specifically is you're looking at seven offensive rebounds, and in my head it feels like maybe they had one put back in this game. You know, and for LaMarcus, like, bro, you're substantially bigger than everyone else on the floor. Like, that should be easy, and he missed at least two easy ones in this one. So just two guys that definitely could have picked up and played better. Blake Griffin really didn't play much in this game. Seven minutes, 0-3, 0-1 from three, uh, three rebounds. Not much else on Blake. I think – for Blake, too, it's hard for him to be impactful if he's only playing seven minutes. It's almost pointless. Yeah. I mean, really, if, if he's if he's not out there taking a charge and putting on his hard hat and lacing yeah. up his boots, what, there's really nothing for Blake to do out there unless he's playing in Toronto. Yeah. Or playing Detroit. Yeah. Or playing Detroit. <laughs> I mean, in the previous matchup against the Clippers, we saw him involved a little bit on some of the role actions, but then sometimes it's just like he becomes a non-factor in the offense. So it's just like the Nets at times just play so many guys that are just not impactful, and it just allows the opposing team to have defenders that just sag off and are able to focus more on, you know, the dominant scores and KD Harden or Patty Mills even in the situation. So definitely for Steve Nash to find some combinations that utilize guys better and just put them in a situation to win. But anybody else you want to talk about, Justin? Uh, nobody really in particular. I mean, James Johnson, decent minutes. I mean, he was in the, uh, on the floor for that stretch in the, uh, second quarter with the Nets, you know, made their, I think it was like a 12 to two run outside of that, you know, he missed the big wide open three, uh, late in the game that would have given the Nets the lead, uh, missed another corner three, you know, but that was part of like that whole like scramble thing, you know, just, just one of those guys, he's, he's, he's there to do his job and we know the job that he can do. It's just sometimes his, play is kind of stifled because of the lineups that Nash puts out there. Yep. Um, there's no reason why he should be out there with at the same time as Bembry uh, or Bruce or even Blake uh, for that matter. If, if he's out there, he should be, I mean, the, the only big I want to see him out there with or non-spacer per se would be probably Nick Claxton. Yeah. Uh, other than and they that, had a nice connection a couple times in this game. Yeah. Too. No. And and I feel like we've seen that a few times, uh, you know, in the last few weeks, uh, the, the Johnson to, to Claxton connection, so, yeah, you know, if he's not going to shoot the three, really, um, he's really just another non-spacer. So if, if, if he's going to be out there, please don't put surround him with a bunch of other non-spacers. Yeah, I think a lineup of like Patty, Harding, KD, Johnson and Clax works because like you said, and then he, he's capable of throwing Clax a nice oop. And James Johnson has a tighter handle probably than Bembry and Bruce Brown. So he's able to kind of get in the lane sometimes and set things up. Like there was that little stretch in the fourth quarter where he was kind of the connector of the offense. He made some good plays, like six assists for a guy that's not necessarily getting the ball a ton. You like that. He's able to just make the smart basketball plays. He's also just a guy that you probably don't want to play 28 minutes though. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, the plays that, that really stands out to me in this game was, like, like when you're talking about the connector, it was that really, really nice ball movement possession in the fourth quarter that ended up with a James Harden layup. But the ball got kicked out to, to Johnson on the wing, probably like a 16, 17-footer, ample space, probably. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm watching him, you know, pass it off. I'm like, well, why would he pass the ball off? That makes no sense. Shoot the open shot. Pass it, I think, was to KD. And then that bled into a uh, a dribble handoff with Harden, yeah. who then goes down the lane. I'm like, okay, I see what I see what he was doing now. So yeah, no, definitely to your point, Johnson is a a, a very good connector. You kind of see that with Paul Millsap sometimes when he's on the floor too. Just guys that have that basketball IQ to know, like, all right, I could take this shot, but we could probably get a better shot yep. with one or two more passes. Yeah, and he's just a guy that's able to maintain the advantage for the offense. 
and like not kind of lose that, either dribble the ball into open space and force the defender to move, or if the guy's not defending him, I'm going to set up a really good dribble handoff. Guys don't really want to run into me because I'm James Johnson, so I'm going to provide space. You know, we've seen Patty Mills get a ton of wide open threes in those dribble handoffs this year. And like, I think I might have mentioned this to you before, they're pretty close to an illegal screen, but we'll live with it until they call it. So, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you rarely see James Johnson make a boneheaded basketball play. You know, every once in a while, you know, he he does something that's like, all right, James, what are you doing? But for the most part, he rarely he rarely gives you more than what one or two turnovers a game. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, those turnovers are you know him trying to make you know the right play and just something else just kind of you know happens. But yeah, twenty eight like like you said, twenty eight minutes per game is not ideally what you want to see you know he's also someone kind of in that LaMarcus Aldridge role where you kind of want to see him around you know 18 to 21 minutes per game you know enough to make an impact but not enough where it's like all right please get him off the floor yeah obviously and he's up there in age too you know he's not the youngest gun out there so I think like the Nets have pieces and guys are working and understanding their role a little bit now it's up to Steve Nash to kind of utilize them a little bit better and kind of take that next step and maybe that's like we mentioned you know playing Cam Thomas Kessler Edwards somebody who can provide maybe a little bit more energy and a spark but Justin anything else you want to jump into uh I will say the turnover issue for the Nets, they, you know, we talk about this all this all, all the time. I thought they actually did a pretty good job in the first half. I know they only had about like six uh, turnovers in that first half, but you really saw a balloon in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. Uh, ended up losing the turnover battle 15 to 11, um, you know, nine points off, of, 17 points off of turnovers, I should say. So, you know, these, these, these are just the things you got to clean up. And as I said, the beginning of the pod this is one of those games where you got punched in the mouth it was a good gut it was a good reality check um loss for them because you, you know you can't just roll the ball out there uh, and expect to win uh yep. everybody's going to give you their best every single night whether they're the covid clippers or they're the you know the hot shot golden state warriors right now so you know just more of a concerted effort you know it's it's, it's a four-quarter game and you know got to get right for Mem- for a memphis team that is definitely going to be giving you their all with how john moran is playing yeah, I mean, that's a great point because Memphis is going to come in here, play with a lot of energy, take no shit, and try to steal a win. So it's going to be up to the Nets to kind of bounce back and, you know, continue to create those habits. I think also it's a little frustrating that they play so well on the road and they've been struggling at home. Obviously, the fans yeah. are going to the games. They want to see this team, you know, pull out some of those W's, especially against a matchup like this. But, Justin, always a pleasure. Big thanks, to everybody, for listening, and Happy New Year. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.